Hello everybody, welcome to Lessons from the Top, a podcast that aims to inspire and educate the next generation through inspiring stories from successful people in entrepreneurship, finance, and politics. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with Earl G. Hall, a futurist and thought leader in the world of gaming and technology. Earl is the CEO of Axis AI, a fintech company that has revolutionized the way land-based casinos operate by harnessing the power of IoT devices and big data cloud. With over 5 billion players accounts in more than 40 countries, Earl has become a visionary and innovator in several fields of technology and neuroscience. He is also recognized for his work in promoting ethical AI and traceable data as the chair of the International Gaming Standards Association and as a board member of the, Glo- of the Global Government Blockchain Association. As a two-time TEDx speaker, Earl uh, speaks and teaches globally on technology and neuroscience. So thank you for being on Listen from the Top. Um, to start off, um, how are you doing today? Outstanding. We're just watching it snowing here in mm-hmm. Las Vegas, which is kind of like a cataclyptic event. Yeah. So it's fun to see something so cool here in a city that's usually warm and sunny. So yeah, it's usually pretty Really cool day here. Yeah, really cool day here in Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted to go to LA. Uh, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go either next year or the year after that. Um, so yeah, it's gonna be fun. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? You know, um, what you're doing right now, what occupies your time, what projects are you working on? Well, my day job is really about one evolving the industry. So making sure that I'm allowed in a strong voice mm-hmm. to get our industry towards pure traceability, transparency, and integrity of transactions. That's really what makes my heart beat because when you can do that, money laundering doesn't exist. Addiction doesn't exist. So that's a part of my day. The other part of my day is really what I love to do the most. I'm a product designer. Mm -hmm. So understanding where the market is going, understanding what the trends are, I just transpose that into UX, UI, and features of products. So that's the second part of my day. And then the most important part of my day, that's taking care of my people. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to uh, blockchain, for example, you know, there's a lot of corruption and a lot of like hacking that can be done, especially with online transactions. Um, do you feel like that has been a big player in the difficulties that you've been, that you've um, uh went through when as uh, a member of uh, the blockchain association well in today's world the only way to guarantee transaction integrity Mm -hmm. is with blockchain yeah the reason why i joined uh, that organization and was subsequently made uh, a member of the board it's because that organization has the tools as the products to be able to push blockchain out into the general world. If you look, we're in 2023, blockchain has been around for roughly 10 really strong years. Mm -hmm. And most people are still using traditional databases, which is kind of like living in the middle of a big city and not locking your door at night. Blockchain is all about creating random generated passwords on data and overlaying them with new passwords so that data is safer and safer. And I have a very black and white stance that AI, 
without blockchain is the most dangerous thing in the history of our in the history of humanity. Mm-hmm. So I, I invest time there to make sure that our industry is safe, our clients are safe, and that everybody understands why blockchain is so important to adopt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like in today's world with like technology advancing, it's 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 much um, less safe to have those transactions going on, like those basic uh, databases and clouds that you said. So I feel like blockchain is um, one of the things that will guarantee security and integrity in those transactions. So yeah, I completely agree. Well, well, you know it's a constant fight. Like right now, quantum yeah, computers exist, which means if you don't have blockchain with the emergence of quantum, you're automatically going to be hacked. And without what, trying to scare anybody, the quantum world is much different than the regular database world we're in today. It's a totally different principle in terms of the way things are done and the speed at which they're done. And the only deterrent that we have right now to be even able to say, we're going to put a chain link fence around this data, the only thing that is any way, shape, or form viable is blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree. And um, you know, you're a successful CEO in the fighting industry. What, what advice would you offer to young individuals who aspire to enter this field? Because I, I imagine that it's, it's a difficult and complicated field to enter, especially like when you're young and now. I have three very simple pieces of advice. Number one is learn something new every single day. The world we were in six months ago before ChatGPT was really made readily available is totally different than the world we're in today. So I invest about 90 minutes to two hours every single night to study and learn. It's how I make sure that I'm relevant and current all the time. Even though it's almost impossible to remain relevant and current, at least that hour and a half to two hours every day of researching, studying, and trying new things out, it keeps me as much up to date as I can be. So learn something new every day. The other thing is, and I'm just getting ready to post this on LinkedIn today, but the other thing is, is everybody talks about work smarter than harder. Well, I don't believe in that. Smart people work harder. Hmm. Why? Because there's no substitute for time. We're in a world today where we've been taught over the last 15 years that it's easy to find and to take shortcuts. But there's no substitute for the 10,000 hours it's called. You have to put in the time. So personally, since I've been a young kid, I learn every day and I work harder every day because when you come in an hour earlier and you're here here a couple of hours later, well, you know, that last 5% of people, they're usually the people that succeed the most. Because over time, they can work less if they want to. And I don't understand that either. Because usually when you're passionate about something, you just don't count the time. Mm -hmm. It is who you are. And it is what you are. So learn, work hard. And number three, I say this every chance I get, travel. When I speak to somebody who has not traveled, they usually have a very closed-in, 
singular approach to everything. Whereas the Japanese think a different way, the Chinese think a different way, Ukrainians think a different way, people from Panama think a different way. So the more you travel as a human being, the more you can create subsets in your brain to correlate one small piece of data with different ways of looking at. So there is no substitute for travel. You can do YouTube for 100 hours a week, but there's no substitute for putting boots on the ground in a different country every couple of months or however much you can travel. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, I, th I think discipline is important, but if you're not passionate about what you do, or you don't at least have, you know, a keen interest in what you're, in what you're doing, and it's not boring, or you're not interested in that thing, I, f I feel like it's going to be hard to succeed, because you're not going to have that heart or that drive to actually uh, go towards that and to, to really succeed in that thing. And um, when it comes to traveling... Dis go ahead. Discipline is only required. Mm-hmm. If it's not your primary passion, because if you're in your primary passion, you don't need discipline. You, you only need discipline like, I have trouble remembering it's right. time to eat, or I have trouble remembering that I'm tired and I have to sleep because I'm in my primary passion. So you do need some discipline to keep the machine running. But discipline comes when you're dragging your behind to do something that you don't want or like to do. Yeah. I completely agree with that. And, um, you know, when it comes to traveling, um, personally, I haven't traveled much, but I have traveled, and I agree, like, people in different places, they've had different experiences, they've grown up in different ways, they have different views, and, like, most of the time, different mentalities on things. So I feel like creating um, that sort of profile in your head of all these different ways of um, seeing things and learning from other people's experiences in those things, I feel like that is how you can harness truly how you see like the world in different industries so um i completely agree when it comes to that um you know you, you've studied in organizational psychology right and you know how has those studies influenced you um, and influenced your achievements in the technology and neuroscience industry well the basis of organizational psychology is understanding the principles of change yeah um, if you look back like 30, 40, 50 years ago, the speed of change of organizations was slow. We didn't have email, we didn't have text message, we didn't have Zoom. So the pace of change was a lot slower than it is today. Yeah. So when you look at the different types of resources in an organization, by far the most important is the humans. Then you have information, then you have material, then you have finance. When you look at the different types of resources in an organization, the speed at which everything changes, the impact that the external environment has on the internal environment. Organizational change is really the way to understand all of the different actors, how they integrate and how they correlate with each other, and how do you evolve an organization through all of the turmoil and all of the failure and success that an organization goes through. So I'd have to say that that was probably one of the luckiest, craziest, unplanned decisions that I've taken in my entire life to study organizational change. And I'd have to shout out Pierre Dumas, is his name in Quebec City, 
who was my first master's degree teacher in organizational change. And that person really instilled into me that organizational psychology is the genesis of everything that happens mm -hmm. when you're building an organization. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like organizational psychology in general is it's, it's a massive learning curve because there, there are so many different like factors that come into play when it comes to, like you said, the external affecting the internal. And um, I, I feel like for anybody that's in business, and especially like financial business, um, it's really important to understand because these factors are like what it's changing like all the companies and everything that is happening inside those companies. So uh, yeah, I, com I completely agree with that. Um, so you, okay. So can you discuss your role as the chair of the International Gaming Standards Organization and how you actually went to becoming involved into that organization? So about four years ago, it became very apparent that the industry that I'm in was stuck mm -hmm. in a dogma, stuck in a, I'll call it a story without wanting to insult anybody, but the industry had a story that it was telling itself. And because of the fact that my team has built a highly disruptive platform, technology, product base, it became apparent to me that for us to succeed and for the industry to understand, I needed to join an organization where I could voice my vision, voice my opinion, and, my, and tell people what I thought needed to be changed. So mm -hmm. I joined the International Gaming Standards Association as a member. And for a reason that's beyond me, I was elected to the board of directors as the corporate secretary, which is a really cool, low-risk place to start. Mm -hmm. uh, but it rapidly evolved into becoming the vice chair of the organization. And then the members this year um, voted for me to become the, the chairman, uh, as opposed to the chairwoman, of the organization. Uh, what that means is that I now have the responsibility to ensure that, one, our members get heard. Two, I'm the eyes that look out to the other industries to see what should we be adopting to remain current, to serve our members, to protect our industry, and to evolve faster so it's been a, a bit of a whirlwind since i was elected we've already created a payment standards committee we're creating an ethical ai committee mm -hmm. we're creating a responsible gaming committee and an anti-money laundering committee so as you can see the the dna of access is wearing off on the organization because I'm proud to say that the management of the International Gaming Standards Association has been reacting quite positively to my personality and my need to feel like we're evolving our industry to a much safer place than the industry is today. Yeah, I mean, you've made a lot of positive changes in that industry. So I feel like it's, it's a good thing that you were elected uh, vice chairman because um with the changes that you've made it's like it's not only better for the members of the board but and the members of the organization but it's 
better for everybody that wants to um, partake in uh, that sort of gaming world. So um, yeah, I completely agree. Um, so c can you okay? Can you elaborate on um, your board membership with the glo with the Global Government Blockchain Association and your contributions to the Standards and Certification Committee of that uh, organization? Well, I'd have to say that my contribution is so small when it comes to sitting around the table. Like uh, on the Standards Committee, we have the CTO of the United Nations, one of the major main branches of the United Nations. We have uh, a standing fellow of Oxford on that committee. So I'm very, very humbly reserved in anything that I contribute. But I will say that what we've accomplished over the past year is to create one of the world's first blockchain standards. Mm -hmm. And why is that so important? Even though blockchain technology has, and I don't, and I, I'm, I'm excluding the Bitcoins, the Ethereums, and the Litecoins, and those, those things, if I can use the word thing, those things that have been around for 10, 15 years, I'm talking about the projects right now like Enchain and other blockchains that are being created over the last four or five years that are using cutting-edge technologies, mainstream platforms, uh, well-designed algorithms. Uh, those types of projects that are evolving need a standard to build off and the blockchain maturity model it's called the bmm it's a five level standard from certifying a concept all the way to certifying a blockchain that's in production that has been a labor of love by the management team the ceo of uh, the government blockchain association and the standards and uh, certification committee has worked very hard over the last couple of years to bring that to fruition. And being ex-military, uh, my principle in life is leadership is by example. So when that blockchain maturity model was strong enough and ready to be used on the commercial market, I propose that my own company that I lead be used as the kabai or as the guinea pig to uh, go through that certification process. And I'm very happy to say that it's gone painfully well mm -hmm. and that pretty soon uh, access.ai should achieve the first level certification of the blockchain maturity model. And that's really what I'd like to say is this organization's gift for the world. You're going to see uh, the UAE, Dubai, adopting this standard. You're going to see the United Nations adopting this standard. So this is a pretty big deal that I think uh, Access and myself have been extremely privileged to be a small part of. Yeah. Not only is it innovative, it's a big positive change in that whole world. And uh, it's, it's amazing that those standards are coming into play now um, with the advancement of technology and all that. And more countries like Dubai and uh, more people involved in, like you said, crypto and you know, a lot of scams are happening and all that. I feel like now um, there's going to be more safety and more integrity with uh, those uh, different aspects. Um, speaking of, you know, you said a ex-veteran army officer. 
Um, how, how, okay, what inspired you from being a veteran army officer to becoming a CEO in the fintech industry? Well, I started programming. I come from a very small uh, fishing village in Newfoundland, Canada. Mm -hmm. And I was very blessed to have a Christian brother. I went to a Christian brother school named Brother Griffin, who was very passionate about computers. And you have to understand, this is like in the very early 1980s. So I started off as a young kid programming. Like I learned on my own. Mm -hmm. So all throughout my army career, I was involved in IT, whether as a day job, a night job, or just pure passion, volunteering, anything I could. So when I left the Army and entered into the civilian world, it was a no-brainer for me. I was going into the heavy tech industry. So started off in the Microsoft ecosystem, working in training, certification, things like that. Then went into building heavy tech, like technologies that were used for crazy cool things like movies like The Matrix, Pirates of the Caribbean, stuff wow. like that. So I spent my whole life in heavy tech, but the fintech industry is really what caught my eye because as technology evolved, the integrity of transactions becomes the core of the entire trust system. Mm -hmm. And that's really what drew me into the fintech world. Hmm. Very interesting. And... um. You know, you, you you've had all these roles to play when you're in uh, when you're doing uh, IT and uh, you know programming in the army and all that. You you do you think that that transitioned well? That transitioned well to um, what you're doing today and how you've built yourself up to becoming CEO and chairman of uh, multiple industries. Well, see, the thing is, is that and like I go back uh, to my mom, mm -hmm. to my roots, to the way I was brought up, and. For me, none of that stuff matters. And I'll be very clear about that titles and all that junk. I really couldn't care less about. For me is how hard do you work? Yeah. And what legacy can you leave? So the fact that I'm sitting in this chair has a lot of responsibility, but an extreme amount of privilege. Mm -hmm. And first of all, I don't take it for granted. Every day for me is a new day. That's the reason why I have a, a pretty disciplined regime of the hour I get up, the work I get done, the things that I do. Because once again, every day is its own life. Yeah. Like I would have never dreamed 20 years ago that I'd be sitting in this chair in Las Vegas. Yeah. Because that was not the important part. The important part is when you're given a task, when you're delegated a task, whether you want to do it or whether you love to do it, it's irrelevant. You do it with your whole heart and you do it better than anybody else in the history of the planet. Why? Because that breeds excellence. Mm -hmm. And when you breed excellence inside and out, cool things just seem to happen on their own. Yeah, that's such an amazing mentality to have. Like, you you have the opportunities to do something. You do it, you full send it. You do as much as you can, and you succeed in that thing. And that's how you build yourself up, and you eventually uh, succeed, and you, you truly make a change in the world. Um, like, I feel like a lot of people, what they do is they have all these opportunities, and they have the chance to, to become someone, but they already don't want to do it, or, like, they, they say, oh, I'm not going to do this because I want to do that. It's like... If you have the opportunity to do something, 
um, that you don't necessarily hate, it's like you should take that chance because you have you get experience and you get to make a change. Um, completely agree with that. Um, so you've you've been on TED Talk, TED Talk. Um, what key insights or lesson would you take away from uh, your TED Talk talks? And what advice do you have for young people who have difficulty doing public speeches, like you know being on interviews, being on podcasts, um, on the news, uh, being in front of a crowd, for example? First of all, the TED community is one, it's completely amazing. Mm -hmm. But two, the TED community teaches you the discipline of delivering something passionately, precisely, and within a very limited amount of time. Mm -hmm. So I think what I learned the most, and I'd have to give a shout out to an amazing woman. Her name is Chantal Bassi in, in Montreal. I'd have to say the thing that I learned the most from my entire experience is how do you find the right word that has the most amount of power that conveys the absolute most amount of passion to get the message across because head is about spreading ideas but when you're on stage it's about opening up your heart showing the audience that you're vulnerable giving them something that they'll take away that will change their entire life but it can only happen if you show your true self mm -hmm. So I would encourage everybody to be part of the TED community, to apply to do TEDx or TED Talks, because of the fact that most of the TEDx organized events really take you under their wing. They really hold on to you and give you the spirit and the principles of the TED community so that you have the tools, the courage, and the confidence to get up on stage because then you only have one thing left to do, and that's open up your heart and be true to yourself. Because the coolest thing you'll ever see when you're on stage is when you get into your heart and you're speaking your truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Everybody automatically listens. Yeah, that, that, that's definitely how it is. And I feel like it, it's like you said, it's, it's not so much of um, being of, of learning the social skills and being able to um, do public speeches even though you, you have to know like how to present yourself and all that but it's more so being able to understand what value you can provide as an individual and being able yep. to understand like and make up in words what is the is the most valuable and important and informative thing that you can tell to people by being as transparent as possible and i feel like that's how you can extract out of yourself and educate other people to truly um, make a change and to actually have them understand what you're saying In instead of just trying to convey a certain personality or trying to act a certain way it's like you need to speak like you said from the heart and open up what you truly think and speak from what you truly believe in and that's how you're really going to um, provide as much value as possible yeah um so we're going to ask the last question um it's been amazing but um you know so th throughout your career You've worked with many different people. Um, is there anyone in particular who has had a, you know, a significant impact on your work? And what qualities or traits did they possess 
that you remember and that you're always going to remember that made them such an inspiring colleague or partner to work with? You know, in my case, that's pretty hard because my life has been blessed with the most amazing mentors you would ever believe. Yeah. And if Start any of them hear what I'm saying with no disrespect to the absolute incredible people who built me to become who I am, mm -hmm. I don't like take the I don't like to take credit for who I am because of the fact that I have had the most amazing mentors you would ever believe. Yeah. But the one that I always look back to and tear up thinking about is General Romeo Dillon. Um, he taught me so much about so many different things that it'd be hard for me to give an inventory. One, he taught me how to precisely speak. In other words, when I walked when I walked into his office or I spoke to him, we had a very short amount of time to get his attention, to present the facts, to present the argument, and to get into the conversation. Number two, the level of discipline and excellence that this person built their life upon, it it just breathes excellence around you. And I'll never forget that I always felt like a better person when I used to stand around him. So General Romeo Dallaire had the most significant impact on me that I could never find the appropriate words to accurately thank him for. But he's by far the number one person that took me out of my shell and said, you can be a much better person. You must do this. You must do that. Yeah. And he just made you feel like you trusted him. So he pulled things out of me that I did not even know they were there. And that's the job of a leader. A leader is not supposed to be your friend. A leader has the divine responsibility to build you. Yeah. I often say that my job is not to build access. My job is to build the people that build access. Mm -hmm. And I am a much, much better person because of the fact that I spent several amazing years with General Dallaire. Yeah, you have to convey your principles to other people, especially when you're a mentor. You have to be able to present yourself in a way where they're inspired by you and they, they, they see things in you that could genuinely improve their lives and make them a more skillful and uh, performing person in the world. Um, I feel like that's truly one of the, the best things. When, when you're looking up to someone and you're like, wow, he can do this, I want to do this. And it's like you said, like the role of a mentor is not to be necessarily a friend, but it's to um, educate them and push them to becoming the best version of themselves. And that's how they should remember you. They shouldn't remember you as your buddy. They should remember you as someone that um, really wanted what was best for you and was hard on you for, like I said, to, to push you. So um, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Amazing. So um, thank you for being here today, Mr. Hall. Um, I had a gr really great time speaking with you. You know, we discussed many subjects um, that could inspire the youth and that could educate the youth. You know, that's the goal of the podcast. Lessons from the top. We um, extract very valuable information from people that have made it and from people that have had all these experiences. So it's truly amazing. And I'm truly honored to have had this conversation with you. 
uh, being able to uh, discuss all these subjects. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Goodbye. Thank you very much.